Hour number three, J. Martin Ramon. What's happening? Welcome back or welcome in if you're waking up a little bit late here. Mm-hmm. 11-year NFL veteran involved for life from Foster. Woke up early. Jonathan Schaefer woke up early. I suppose I woke up early. We're on Twitter at J. Martin and Ramon. <whistles> at Ramon Foster at J. Martin Radio at Schaefer on Sports as well. Eric Kane from the Lockdown Vols podcast and WNML Knoxville will join us in the next segment. We'll talk... Uh, all things Vols with him. So, Marquez Callaway balled mm-hmm. out last night. You heard that in Schaefer's update at the top of the hour. Great catch in the end zone. Two of them. I think. But here's the thing. Like, we knew Marquez Callaway could play. Yep. But he didn't get to show very much. He did not. At Tennessee. And that become, that's become the problem for a lot of Vols. Like, I'm not surprised at all to see him playing well. Mm-hmm. Now, it's preseason, but he was making Sunday plays. He was making Sunday efforts as well, and he may have helped Jameis Winston land that job. He really did. They did that first quarter, and it was like, yep, we're done. We're we're really done here, man, and it, for good reasons. Those throws, those catches, Jameis was getting pressured. Mm-hmm. Not only that, he helped him work downfield, man, make the third down plays, and like you said, that catch, though. He had two of them, and the first one was like, oh, my – like. You do one in a game like that, especially over two defenders. I think it was over the rookie first-round draft pick. And, oh, man, Shaq, uh, what's his name, uh, Griffin, uh, the Twins, They were he was trending last night. It was like, man, we paid him all this money for him to get toasted. Like, there were burnt, burnt toast uh, 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 tweets around his name and stuff last night. It was actually kind of bad, man. Um, but that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. He got worked and Marquez did the job. But we heard this last year, though. It was like Marquez is a guy, man, that's that's going to be really good if just given the time. And he was showing up last year sometime. And now with uh, Michael Thomas being out, you have the ability to see him be a playmaker. But it's not just him that, you know, that's, that's come out of Tennessee has been underused and underutilized. It's looking at how does a guy on the team that went, what, three and seven mm-hmm. go in the third round? Mm-hmm. To the Chargers, Josh Palmer. There's numerous accounts of this, and I asked it last night on um, on Twitter. You know, I was like, for my toxic UT fans, me included, and former VFLs, what's been our issue? Goes back to what you asked Brad in the last segment, man. Is a lot of teams with their quarterbacks watching their quarterbacks' stability, the ability to get the ball out and protect. It's the it's un, almost been criminal for the amount of guys that's come through UT. And we kind of went through a list as of recently, too, of either drafted lower than they should have been or undrafted that go to the next level and find years and years in the league. It's, <laughs> I don't want to use these terms, but like I said, it's criminal, it's neglectful, it's irresponsible for you to call yourself a coach and not be able to maximize that and put these kids in the right situations because there's no way Marquez Callaway should have been undrafted. Josh Palmer, you know what I'm saying? For him to not have higher stats at the University of Tennessee. Those are just a couple of the guys in recent history. We're not even mentioned Alvin. Nope. <laughs> like Don't need to. It's it's PTSD it, it for it ball is fans. PTSD. Um, but yeah, Jameis helped himself. And I was, you know, I was happy for you. You know why I was happy for you last night? Because Taysom and get, Hill was yep. the one that didn't benefit from all that. <laughs> yep. And the offense looked totally different, too, when he was in there. Um, 
I'll say this. They they look like they tried to cater that offense for Taysom, but that defense was was like wired up last night watching him compete for that uh that position. They they blitzed the quarterback a whole lot different. His ability to try to get outside the pocket and run was no ability. So it's almost like, oh, you really missed that shot in the in there. I was trying to throw it over the partition. I was trying to get it very complicated. Missed the trash can for those of you watching right mm-hmm. here. Um Miss Kobe. But they didn't. Jameis really helped himself last night. It's going to be an interesting game. I'm watching forward to I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Don't, isn't that the 17th game added for the Titans, too? The it is. Yeah. yeah. It isn't week 17 necessarily. But, but that's right. the plus one that they right. had on the season. I'm looking forward to see, <clears throat> seeing that game now. I think it's sure. in that middle, like, 6 to 10 mm-hmm. spot. Mm-hmm. Speaking of 10, top 10 power rankings from ESPN. They, I mean, they did it. One through 32. Um, Kansas City, Tampa Bay, Buffalo, Green Bay, the Rams, the Ravens, the Browns, the Seahawks, and then the Titans come in at nine. Mm-hmm. What I am seeing, kind of, is most people don't seem to be too upset where the Titans are. Mm. That nine feels it's about right. pretty close. And I, I, could, I can understand that. I don't really have too much of an issue either. Um Seattle being above them, okay. Maybe have an argument there. Mm-hmm. And and Baltimore, I think six is too high for Baltimore personally. They get their left tackle back. They got Alejandro in free agency. They they got some guys up the middle. Um, I'm I'm looking. F- Baltimore will watch more closely this year than I ever have before, just to see what they're actually doing because this entire offseason, Jay, has been about. They got one of the best teams. We've seen them talk about their OC. We've seen them talk about their DC. And they're highly ranked right now when it comes down to it for a team that that mainly primarily throws to tight ends. Uh, it's weird to me how they get so much. But Baltimore has a standard, and they've kind of lived up to it. I actually thought Cleveland was a little lower than where they should have been. I mean, they're seven. I would have put them above Baltimore. I, yeah, me too. I think offensively are more stable. I I will give the defensive side to Baltimore though, but I, their their defense is just as good. I'd put them ahead of Baltimore, Cleveland. They've been, which again, I'm gonna continue to say, it, super quiet this year. Super quiet. They've made no headlines this year, which is rare for Cleveland. That's a good thing, <clears throat> especially for I mean Odell is the guy that they have mentioned as on the hot seat. I saw that. Yeah, that's I some agree. turds. Yeah, I agree. Right there. Oh, okay. It is Tuesday. <laughs> it is. We're not going to ruin Taco Tuesday, though. No, it's Turd Tuesday. We've done this before. <laughs> Although Taco Tuesday will inevitably end in. Yeah, that's some turd stuff right there. Um, Unless it backs you up. Mm. Or clear you out. You got to be mm. careful how much mm. cheese is on those things. Mm. Cheese. Unless you're on keto, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, no, I'm not saying anything about the nutritional value. I'm saying the the binding value. Binding value. Uh, Also, this was another point, too. Looking at that NFL top 100, Baker's ahead of Ryan Tannehill as far as ranking. Can't do that. I can't can't do do that. Can't do it. So what's out there? Can't do it. Can't win with him. Let me ask you this question. If Ryan Tannehill was a quarterback in Cleveland, do you think that they would be worried about paying him? Compared to what they're waiting on nope. with Baker, I don't either. <laughs> no, nope. already be paid. He'd already be paid. Precisely. So with that, with that said, he should be above Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. That 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 to me ends the argument. Yep. If you think, well, they would have paid Tannehill, 
but they still haven't paid Baker, and people are like, ah, don't go over 30. When there's a don't market, go over 28. There's already a market set because of Josh Allen, right? Hard times are real. Both teams played hard, man. <laughs> By the way, number 11 in, on this list is Pittsburgh. Also, for Zach's uh, sake, um, Andy is 14. Your guy's on the hot seat there. Blankenship, the kicker. He's on the hot what seat. What do you mean he's on the hot seat? That's what they, they just They him. just waved another kicker and apparently tweeted out a big photo with the guy kicking saying, we have waved kicker. I don't know if I need the splash screen if you've let me go. Blanco, he's fine. He's young, not going anywhere. Young Blanco's. Young Blanco's not going anywhere. <laughs> Colts have signed Tucker McCann. Not. Not yet. <laughs> he went injured, so he might got to sell. Yeah, maybe, that, maybe that's why they let Eddie Pinero go in Indy. For McCann? Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Hey, Tucker McCann can have a job before the end of the year. Really for sure. Can. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's always a potential for a kicker to find If Sam Sloman can get a job and win a game. Tucker McCann. He was Great also job, part Sloman. of the first cuts. Great job, Sloman. Sloman was part of the first cuts. Yeah, but we knew that was going to happen. Look, man, his name is Slowman. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> Titans legend, Sam Sloman. Yes. He made one He made one pretty big kick. Pretty Never big one. Forget. No matter how many times they hit the crossbar. <laughs> that was just kind of an underhanded backhanded compliment. Hey, they talked about me. I'm not sure that that was actually necessary. Was side say. swipe. It was. You're saying it while you're stretching, too. You're like, yeah, Drive by. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Coming up next, Eric Kane, WNML, mm. Knoxville, Lockdown Vols podcast. We'll talk to him about, well, it looks like it's Milton, right? What's Milton? It looks like it's Milton. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Easily. You we'll talk to him. To you. <laughs> you really think I'll be listening to you? I ain't listening to you. What? Melting? Melton. I'm like, what? Are you listening to the show at all? I'm listening to him. It sounds Our like collective melting. brains when you oh speak. God. Dog, I tell you what. Just make sure your car isn't towed. I park in regular spots, Moan, because I don't expect special treatment. Or take up more than one spot, Moan. All right. Okay. <laughs> I'm putting cases on both of y'all. Cases? Yep. Is this is this like Trill and Nope. What Denzel kind of cases? From, what kind of cases? Uh, Denzel. I'm aware, but what kind of cases are you gonna put on? It don't matter. I might put a milk crate. I just assumed it'd be Halliburton's filled with cash. I hope so. Eric Kane next. Jay Martin Ramon, one oh four five the zone. J-Mart and Ramon, 104.5 The Zone, powered by all four seasons garage doors in Nashville, along with 11-year NFL veteran involved for life, Ramon Foster, Jonathan Schaefer, and Jason Martin. We're on Twitter at J-Mart and Ramon. Titans number nine in ESPN's power rankings preseason poll. And Derrick Henry is going to be somewhere in the top ten of the players ranking the top 100 from the NFL Network. We kind of believe somewhere around six. If you look at the rest of that list, we can yeah. jump back into some of that as well. But we go to Knoxville for our good friend Eric Kane from the Sports Animal, WNML, as well as the Locked On Vols podcast. Eric, what's going on? Hey, boys, doing well? How uh, How's the show going this morning? Uh, it's going. Good. It's going. I mean, Ramon's rich, and we've been discussing oh. that in great detail about how much money he has and how the rest of us are just you know living paycheck to paycheck over here. Yeah, right. 
Amen. Amen. We 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 can't all have it like Ramon now. You better than this, EK. No, he's not. <laughs> yeah, I know this. We've been talking about the the uh, the Hood Olympics, aka the Milk Crate Challenge. Have you done it, by the way? You know, it's so funny. I don't know why I thought of this. I was like, I guarantee you, the boys are going to ask me about that today when I come on because that's the thing going around right now. Uh, no, I have not tried it, but I have enjoyed watching all of the epic fail videos that have been out there. That is. It, it's good comedy for sure. It is Darwinism yes. at its finest. Uh, <laughs> we had we had Eric, or sorry, we had Brad Crawford on from Twenty Four Seven Sports last hour, and he put up ten you know, pretty pressing questions going into this SEC season. He also did a prediction column for the first month, and for Tennessee, Eric, he's got the Vols three and one, with Florida being the one loss. If you're three and one, obviously the competition is the competition that first month. But if you're three and one, how do Vols fans feel going into October? No, I mean if you're if you're three and one, you're feeling confident because you know the, one of those big uh, swing games is, is obviously Pittsburgh, and that that means you got the offense not figured out completely, but enough you're rolling to to beat a, a quality opponent in Pittsburgh, at least for Tennessee. Of course, you got wins over Bowling Green and Tennessee Tech, a loss to Florida. If you're three and one, then you're going on the road to Missouri. You feel like you have a real chance to win that game. That's another toss-up, and then from there you have South Carolina. So if Tennessee is three and one after the first four weeks of the season, Tennessee could potentially, you know, the, the mindset that I feel like a lot of people might have would be, you know, five and one heading into uh, that game against Ole Miss, and so. That's why I think that Pittsburgh game, it's probably not the most important game on the schedule for me because, again, it's, it is a non-conference game, but it's a big one in terms of confidence, and it's a, it's a measuring stick to, to see kind of where your team is right now heading into uh, the SEC schedule. Is Milton the guy? Yeah, Mil- Milton's the guy. Um, from my perspective, everything, you know, the chatter around the program, I think it's, I think it's Joe Milton. Uh, I think he's had a really strong camp. I think he's performed well. Um, and, you know, not not spectacular, but from everything I've heard, he's performed well in the scrimmages. And I mean, you, you love his physical makeup. Of course, we know how big he is. We know how how you know how far he throws the ball and all that. But um, you know, I, I guess with the, with the indication is that he's you know protected the football and he's you know made the right decisions so far in, in the scrimmages uh, that Tennessee's played. Now I understand that quarterbacks are not live, so it's really hard to simulate. Uh, you know a guy in your face or, you know, you're, you're trying to evade a sack and, and making that right decision. It's hard to simulate that in camp, but it uh, looks like Joe Milton's had a really, really good camp, and uh, Josh Heupel wasn't ready to announce any starting quarterback yesterday. We'll see if he wants to announce that on Monday, but my full expectation will be Joe Milton. Um, how did he end up separating himself? And I say that because Brian Maurer left. Uh, w- was the competition that far as far as somebody getting the job or didn't I mean? Is it what is it with Maurer in this situation? Him uh, transferring out? Well, I think that you know, from my observations, it looked like this. It looked like you know, it was it was Joe Milton and Hendon Hooker who uh, were the most impressive in fall camp. I think Harrison Bailey was behind those guys, not not far far behind those guys, but behind those guys. Mm-hmm. I think that he was a little bit more inconsistent in some of his throws. I think he struggled a little bit throwing on the run and throwing to the boundary, but um, he's improved in a lot of areas from what I've seen. You know, what little practice we've seen, you know, compared to compared to in the fall. And so I, I think all those guys are benefiting, especially Harrison Bailey, benefiting from you know, having Josh Heupel and Joey Halsey as uh, as quarterback coaches. I, I think that's just making them all better. As far as Brian Maurer is concerned, I mean, I, I think he was you know believed to be fourth in line and. 
uh, kind of right before that first scrimmage, uh, I think a conversation was was had about, hey, you know, Brian, we don't know who the quarterback is, um, but it's it's probably not going to be you. So this is how we're going to start dividing the reps, you know, moving forward. And of course, uh, Brian Mauer decided to, to to you know go somewhere else and uh, seek other opportunities for his future. And I certainly want to wish him the best of luck. But uh, I view it as I I've been pretty consistent in thinking that it's been a a Joe Milton Hendon Hooker you know, being the most impressive of them with Harrison Bailey. And then, you know, with, with Milton, it's just, you know, he's he's made better throws. He's made more consistent throws. And, you know, we, we don't get to see a lot of practice. Mm-hmm. But when we're out there and watching them throw routes on air, I mean, consistently connecting on the deep throws, the deep posts, the, the goes, the seams, the post corners. And, I mean, Milton is, is throwing those and connecting on a, on a consistent basis. And, and honestly, guys, just making it look easy. And so that's not all football is, but that's kind of some of my observation uh, in viewing Joe Milton so far in camp. Eric, we pretty much got torched last year when it comes down to that slant route across the middle of the defense. The linebacker group is was sort of uh, depleted, and the secondary just needed a little work too. How have those two units looked in camp so far? Well, Josh Heifel said yesterday the linebacking group has uh, been the most improved unit so far in camp, and, and obviously it has to be, right, because of what you were – at the end of spring practice last year, you didn't have anybody. You didn't have Juwan Mitchell yet coming into the program. Uh, Jeremy Banks was not available during spring. Uh, Roman Harrison, who's primarily an edge guy, but he wasn't available during spring. You had uh, some young guys learning how to play linebacker in spring, and so you get some of these guys back. You add in a veteran in Juwan Mitchell who led Texas in tackles last year. That room is obviously going to get better. I still have depth concerns at linebacker, obviously, um, I'm not a, you know, so far I'm not a believer in Jeremy Banks and being a quality linebacker, but, you know, hopefully that can change this year. He's now a veteran and you're hearing a lot of good things about uh, him in camp and learning how to play under control. And so I think that's a good sign. Uh, but the linebacker room's improved. And then uh, you're hearing a lot of good things about Trayvon Flowers, um, who's been here for quite some time. He's, it's been tough for him to stay on the field. He's had so many different injuries, a broken collarbone, a broken leg. Um, but Trayvon Flowers appears to be having a good camp. And, um, you know, that, that secondary overall, Willie Martinez spoke with us last week and just said that um, the, the way they go into meetings, the way they go into practice, they know what to expect. It's a, it's a different mindset for that defensive secondary. And it's a veteran group, too. And so they know what to kind of expect. Now they know their coaches, and they, they've gotten after it this fall camp. So um, I think the defense overall, guys, you know, the conversation, and myself included, I mean, I've, I've been in this conversation as well, is that the defense is going to be just not a very good unit. And I don't think that defense has arrived by any stretch of the imagination. I still think it will struggle at times, but I don't think the defense is going to be nearly as bad as what we thought at one point in the offseason. So we'll have to see. I mean, certainly they're going to have to get out there and perform and do it, but if you can get some, if you can average uh, over a turnover per game and you know, play some complimentary football to your offense, I think that defense of a unit can be uh, okay uh, compared to being just awful. So when you say this, you know, this defense isn't as great as it should be or it's not just where you where we want it to be, what well, the question I ask, the best defense is probably keeping them off the field. Is this so is this offense capable of staying on the field long, meaning slowing down or it's just not the way it operates? It's just not the way it operates. I I don't think. I mean, you know, I've I've watched tape at UCF. I've watched tape of Josh Heupel in the past and certainly I I watched an open practice back in the spring, and I watched that orange and white game. And, I mean, that, that, that first offensive drive in the orange and white game, I saw him snap the ball for play one. I looked down at my keyboard made some notes, and I looked up, and I had already missed the other play. I mean, they are going to go fast. Um, 
They're going to try to have the best pace in the SEC, try to go as, as fast as anybody in the country. And, you know, as you guys know, if you go three and out and you're only taking 45 seconds off the game clock, I mean, that's that's not helping out anybody whatsoever in, in terms of the defense. Um, even when you if you go the length of the field and you drive down the field and um, you, you score and you get points, and that's great, you're still not taking a lot of time off the clock, you know, for, for to help your defense out whatsoever. It's It's very different from – Obviously, the the defense or the offense that Jeremy Pruitt wanted here at Tennessee, to where you you run the ball, you take long sustaining, you try to keep, you try to protect your defense and keep them off the field. Some this is completely different. So uh, again, I, I think maybe that's why it, it took a little while for Tennessee to settle on a defensive coordinator because you know if I'm a defensive coordinator, that's not really an attractive. Uh, offense that I want to be trying to complement because it's going to put my defense in a vulnerable spot. So, nonetheless, we'll have to see. I, I, I guess I would say it just doesn't work that way, in my opinion. Defense is going to be out there and playing a lot of snaps this year, that's for sure. All right, so Eric Kane, by the way, joining us, Locked on Vols podcast at WNML, the sports animal in Knoxville. So, to that point, you were saying, look, the defense maybe isn't as bad as we thought it was going to be, but the balance there is – how often they're going to be on the field. So when you look at it and brass tax it, you look at the offenses that they're going to face and the way that college football offenses have, have begun to, to spread out and explode, how many points is this team going to give up, do you think, on a, on a regular basis to, to decent, competent teams? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this defense is going to give up points. I think this defense is going to give up yards. Um you know, certainly from a statistical standpoint, it's probably not where you want to be, in my opinion, of, of what this defense will be this year. I think this defense will give up north of, of, of you know, in the in the high 20s potentially. Um, you know, give up, you know, anywhere from around, you know, 350 to 400 yards per game, and then sometimes even more. I mean, when Ole Miss comes to town, yeah, yeah. You know, that offense is going to get its. You know, uh, Alabama is going to get its yards. You, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. I, I think the thing about this defense is. What it needs to focus on, it needs to focus on getting turnovers. And, and that's so, I mean, I, I know that's so generic. I mean, every, everybody wants to get the ball if you're, a defense, if you're a defense. But can you get a pass rush? Can Rodney Garner get those guys and get more from that veteran defensive line to get back there and get after the passer? Can Tyler Barron, can Byron Young, can Roman Harrison, you know, develop a pass rush and get back there and put pressure on the quarterback, force the opposing quarterback into bad throws, and then can the defense be aggressive and pick it off? Can you get enough of a pass rush to run man in the back end and, and, and try to take some chances. I think that is where this defense will have an opportunity to shine. Bend but not break. Kind of, kind of bow up in the red zone a little bit. Give up three compared to give up seven. Because, again, I think these offenses are going to get their yards and their points, but it's about timely stops and timely turn, turnovers, as I think, is where – um, Tim Banks in this unit will have a chance to to try to shine this year. So there's going to be a press conference a little bit after lunch today per ESPN announcing officially the alignment of the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12. Uh, what is What are your thoughts, your reaction to those three conferences basically just trying to put a little bit of a boot towards the SEC? I, I think it's a defensive move, really. You have the SEC going and picking up Texas and Oklahoma, and you know potentially even more in the years to come. And you know their agreement with with ESPN and how a lot of people believe that ESPN runs college football and the SEC is just the big bully. And so you have the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC linking arms, just saying, "Hey, we're going to have an alliance here. Obviously, it'll help with some non-conference football scheduling and all that, but really." For the future of college athletics, for the future of the college football playoff, you know the SEC and Greg Sankey wants uh, a 12-team, you know, reportedly a 12-team college football playoff, and 
Um, I, I think that you could slow that process down now in terms of TV rights, you know, not letting ESPN have all of the TV rights for the college football playoff, maybe mixing things up and giving Fox some, CBS some, ABC, or not ABC, but uh, FS1 and some more potentially. So I, I really view this as a defensive move to try to slow the progress of what the SEC is. And it's interesting too, guys, and I'm sure you all have talked about it, you know, the Big 12 is left out of that. Yep. So, uh, again, you know, w- what's what's to be of the Big 12? Is is it going to dissolve? Is the American going to overtake it? Is it, is other uh, Power 5 going to start picking it apart again in the years to come? I, I think maybe this has all accelerated some things. And what's the counter move going to be from the SEC? I think I think the Southeastern Conference have, had envisions of, of not only stopping at 16, but going going getting more. Yep. Um, but I, th- I thought that would be down the line. Will that speed up that process? Will they try to go and get a Florida State or a West Virginia or some other team, you know, adding it to the mix in the future? I, I don't know right now, but um, it- it's interesting to see how fast all this is kind of changing in the college, you know, landscape. But I view this as trying to preserve college athletics and trying to, to keep it away from the SEC and really ESPN from having all the power. I mean, they're they are aligning a lot of conferences, but they're aligning a lot of conferences that uh, have lost a lot to the SEC. I mean, the SEC's won what eleven of the last fifteen championships, so it it makes things more interesting, if nothing else. And yeah, I agree with you. I think the SEC going to twenty is is probably going to happen sooner as a result of things like this. One other thing, Marquez Callaway balled out last night. We have talked about on this show a lot of times the lack of development for Tennessee players in Knoxville under these last few coaching staffs where it's just kind of it's led to them not being drafted or being overlooked a lot of the time. How important do you think it is for Hypo to try and change that, if nothing else? Where and, and a lot of it's poor quarterback play and everything else, but I'm not surprised, nor is Ramon, and I imagine nor are you, Eric, that Marquez Callaway can play in the NFL because you saw that skill set in Knoxville. Yeah, you did, and I mean, you go back to his freshman year when he was really just used as like a like a let's just throw it up to Marquez and let him go win those fifty fifty battles. And you saw him transition and evolve into the receiver that he was when he left Tennessee back in twenty nineteen um, or in twenty twenty, whatever year it was. They all run together now, <laughs> um, but uh, no, I think it's important for Hypo, and it's important for in terms of recruiting as well. You want to go all these recruits, all these five stars and these four stars want to go play for Alabama. Number one because they win but also because they see the talent that's turned out to the National Football League. Uh, you know, when I talk to prospects, and especially defensive line prospects, and I say, hey, why is Tennessee in it for you? What is Tennessee doing? They say, well, Rodney Garner, look at this resume. Look at this track record. He puts guys into the league. So these kids, they want to be developed. They have a bigger goal in mind, more than name, image, and likeness. They want to go to the National Football League and have that as a career and, and obviously make money one day. And so I think it's very important for Josh Heupel and his staff to – start developing that talent a lot more so than what the Pruitt administration did, what Butch Jones and his staff did, and all that. I mean, the talent's never been the issue here at Tennessee. It, it's never been the issue. And it doesn't surprise me whatsoever that Alvin Kamara and, and, and Marquez Callaway, look at Juwan Jennings having a nice camp. Trey Smith, we know Trey Smith yeah. can play. And uh, I think the reason he slid down the draft is nothing in terms of uh, a football relation, but it's good to see him, you know, balling out in camp right now. And and likely to be the starting right guard for the Kansas City Chiefs. That's awesome. But to answer your question, I think it's very, very pivotal, very important for Josh Heupel to kind of kind of get that reputation for being able to develop players because it's just going to help out in recruiting you know, down the line. And ultimately, you'll get better prospects to come to Tennessee, and hopefully that turns into winning more football games. Eric, what's happening on the uh, Lockdown Vols podcast this week? 
Yeah, so Locked On Vols, like we're still uh, t- taking a look at Tennessee football camp, some of these final position battles that um, that are looking to wrap up. You know, where we're following the quarterback battle with Joe Milton. We expect, uh, you know, us at Locked On Vols expect Joe Milton to be the starting quarterback. But uh, hearing from Josh Heupel, playing tons of audio, getting some awesome guests on. We got Josh Ward coming up tomorrow. Uh, we will have uh, Stephen Lassen from Athlon Sports on the Thursday program, trying to book Tom Hart, who will be on the call for uh, Tennessee's opener against Bowling Green, trying to get him on later on in the week. So lots of awesome stuff coming up on Locked On Balls this week. Good stuff, Eric. Nice, As nice. always, brother, we'll catch up with you again soon. Hey, guys, appreciate it. Have fun. Indeed. Yep. That's Eric Kane, WNML Sports Animal, Locked On Balls podcast. By the way, Josh Heupel is going to be on with us later this week also. Yes, yes, indeed. Looking forward to that. Next Thursday, man. Game day. We're almost here. Oh. Can, I, can I tell you something that, that uh, Matt Nagy just said in Chicago? Come on. What do you say? I'll tell you after the break. Oh, oh, come, come on, man. man. What are you doing? Plus, oh. plus birthdays. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. say that now. It's already, it's already not been your day. Today is my day. We'll be right back. You won't believe what was said in Chicago this morning. We'll be right back. It's Jay Martin, your mom, 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back. Jay Martin, Ramon, 104.5 The Zone. And thanks to Eric Kane. Podcast is wherever you get your podcast. If you missed the Lockdown Vols podcast host, as well as WNML, Sports Animal, he joined us on Mark Spain Real Estate Hotline. This from multiple sources, including Ian Rappaport, teased it right before the break. Of course, the Titans play the Bears in their final preseason game. Coach Matt Nagy tells reporters this morning, quarterback Justin Fields will start in their final preseason game, and Andy Dalton will sit. Because Andy Dalton is week one starter. He is on his way to getting fired. Yup. <laughs> he is. How to lose your job one-on-one. What's wrong? Oh, boy. It'll be good to see Justin. QB1's be being booed. Mm-hmm. And your response is, nope, still going to do it my way. Uh, if available, I think I might try to come to that Titans game just to see the young stud, man, the young QB1 out of Chicago. I'll be watching at home yep. if I can see it. We getting there. Are you, Are your eyes better today? I'd seen some. I saw some progress Saturday. It's supposed to kind of go in and out until it finally just gets to the right spot. Don't. <laughs> I realized as I was saying that, that sentence was dangerous. <laughs> I'm walking away. It was very dangerous. <laughs> Titans' birthday, David Questenberry. Okay. 31 today. Allen Robinson, great young receiver still. Just 28 years old. Oh, man. wow. Really? Wow. wow. He's older than that, man. He's got a career. Yeah, he does. Uh, Cal Ripken is 61. Wow. The legend. Dave Chappelle is 48. Nice. Jared Harris, fantastic actor. Chernobyl, Mad Men, The Crown. Uh-huh. He's 60 today. And Vince McMahon is 76. Oh, Vinny boy. And should retire before he's 77. <laughs> Vinny Mac. <laughs> uh, Arian Foster's birthday today, too, for the okay. ball fans. There you go. Boy, two of those people you mentioned have been guests on the show. Yeah, have indeed. Arian. Arian. Hey, now. Okay, Moan. I was oh, waiting. No. Whew, today's my day. Craig Kilborn is 59. Was in belly. He was a Jamaican guy. <laughs> no? Yeah. Craig, he, Craig's a very Jamaican name. <laughs> he, I thought he moved there. Yes. Nope. I'm wrong, huh? 
The original host of the Daily Show before John Stewart, ESPN longtime Sports Center anchor, and had his own had the Craig Kilborn show on CBS before at night as well. Craig Ferguson came before Craig Ferguson, really, and before Tom Snyder maybe also. I missed that one. No, it's Tom Snyder then then Craig Kilborn. Kilborn. Okay, I gotta I gotta gotta brush up on these things. Uh, Steve Gutenberg is 63. Hey, the Goots. Yeah. Steve Gutenberg. Yeah. Was he in Last no, King he's of not responsible. No, he's not responsible for the Bible. <laughs> he wasn't in Hoodlum? Did this dude just did this? Nor was he in the Hood Olympics. Nope. <laughs> that we know of. Yeah, that's a good point. That we know of Primal Fear. Oh, boy. Did you finish it? Yeah, I did. Uh, it's a great ending, isn't it? Whoo! Crazy. Mm-hmm. The Primal Fear was good. Ed Norton's birthday was last week. You didn't know who he was. Yeah. He was a guy in, in jail. Yeah. In Primal Fear. Yeah. Y- yeah. <laughs> you just watched it, man. <laughs> yeah. Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> Ramon basically just did. <laughs> what happened? I did. I feel like I know. I should know this name. Yeah. You want to try one more time? ESPN anchor? Oh, my gosh. That was, that was, that the, was the last, last guy. guy. Steve Gutenberg. Police Academy. Carrie Mahoney from Police Academy. Short also, circuit. three men and a baby. Short, Short circuit. circuit. Yep. Missed that one, too. Short circuit sitting on F- HBO Max. F- Put it F- on your watch list. F- felt uh-huh. right, though. Johnny Five Alive. No, it did not. I was a huge Police the Academy crew. fan growing up. The huge. Crew. I was, too. Made my parents. Our mom took me to assignment Miami Beach, the fifth one, three different times. I kept making her take me. Ron said I wasn't far off from the Jamaican guy in belly. Shut up. <laughs> Ron, snap time, buddy. Go back to bed, Ron. <laughs> Marley Matlin is 56, Moan. Uh, from the Wayans brothers? <laughs> That's Marlon Wayans. Never, never. You're you right. That's on me. <laughs> Especially when you find out who this is. <laughs> Marley Matlin is CB4. Stop. No. Who is Marlon Matlin, Chafe? I remember her in a guest appearance on The West Wing. Yeah, she she appeared there several times. She also appeared on mm. Blues Clues, which I didn't know until uh, a trying to study deaf up. actress. Oh, deaf really? actress, yeah. That's she's probably, no. like, when you think of deaf actress, she's probably the first one that comes to mind. She's played that role in a number of different things. She actually, I think, had some kind of a talk show. She kind of. I think she was a Golden show. Globe winner. Yeah, I think she too, did yeah. win a Golden Globe as well. Huh. Um, don't think of deaf actors. Joe Rigobuto was he is ma- seventy two. Major pain. Jeez. Love that movie, but no. All about the Benjamins. Nope. You stupid idiot. Um, three hundred. Definitely not. That was Gerard Butler. <laughs> Joe Rigobuto played Frank Fontana in Murphy Brown. I'm with you on that, Mo. Never I didn't heard know who that was. Either one of those before. Yeah. You never heard of Murphy Brown? No. I've met Faith Ford, though. She's an awesome person. Yeah. You met her? Okay, small yeah. flex. She was, she was on. That's a small, small flex. Did you play in the NFL? Shut that garbage <laughs> down as you're pricing Teslas during this segment. That that happened. Rupert Grint is yeah. 33, Moan. Uh, Rupert? No. Am I supposed to know who Rupert is? You should know who this is. Rupert he's, Grant? He's, he's got paid. Rupert Pumpkin. Is that a, yes? No. Is that a Starbucks drink? <laughs> no, that's pumpkin cream cold brew, which started back today. Today, <laughs> super excited. Well, if Rupert ain't in Baps, I don't know who he is. You Rupert got messed up, hey, Ron. Rupert Grant played Ron Burgundy. <laughs> no, you know that Weasley. 
Ah, and Harry Potter. The redhead. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. All of them were redheads, but Ron was uh, the important redhead. Were they really? The one that ended up with Hermione. Yeah, Hermione. Yeah. Rupert Grant probably is doing all right financially, Hell I would say. Yeah, he is. Never watched a minute of the Harry Potter movie. Have you not? No, and I have no words to. Man, I'm just not interested. That's your, your loss, Holmes. Okay. <laughs> Harry Potter books are my favorite books ever, I think. Nobody, nobody asks you. It's my show. Nobody has to ask me. I, I spout opinions without being asked. Half of it's your show. Half of it, no, a third. Half. Well, I wasn't going to flex like that. Yeah, no, nah, I'm going to flex for you. I did well today on birthdays. I mean, you got Oh, right. that's crap. Got, you know the last you time not. you went 0 for 5 two days in a row? You know what happened the day after that? What? You cheated. <laughs> Top of the hour headlines coming up. Jay Martin, your mom, 104.5 The Zone. Jeremy McNipple. <laughs>